Welcome to Dorks on Sports, a podcast about four dorks talking about sports. My name is Daniel. Joining me, as always, is Curtis Eastwood. Curtis, uh, where's your uh, sports uh, mental state of affairs right now? It's good. Yeah? It's he, good. Yeah. I've, I've, I've come to terms with, with many issues, and, and, okay. and I'm still on my... <laughs> Mediterranean diet, so you know I I I, I feel I, I feel I feel more sprite, good and, uh, and less weighted down with uh, with life. We'll, we'll wait till Sunday. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Alana, how are you doing over there? I'm doing great, much like, like you. Oh, go ahead. I no, I was I was gonna say uh, you got the background there with a with a kraken and a hockey stick to celebrate yes. the inaugural yes. game yesterday. It was great. Uh, it was Much great. Like it you, was great. I went on a trip to celebrate my birthday, and I just stopped back, um, filled with prime rib and sushi. So oh, that's perfect. Yeah, yeah, that's a good day. And then Millie over here. Uh, I, I know Millie had a tough loss this week. Millie lost one of her fantasy teams. How's how's the grief going? Oh man, I'd, I'd put that out of my mind. Um, it's okay. <laughs> am I am I bringing up new emotions? No, I, I think I've processed through it and, okay. and I'm all right. But for those of you keeping track, one of my fantasy leagues this year was a guillotine league. I've never played in one before. And the idea of the guillotine league is the person with the least points at the end of the games is eliminated and all of their players are taken away and thrown into the waiver pool for everyone else to go grab and bid on and take. It's all right. I'll be all right. Um, I'm a little sad about it. I went yeah. out way sooner than I thought I would. I didn't see it coming this week, but uh, I'm doing all right. Thanks for Good. asking. We're, well, we're all thinking of you, you know, you have my thoughts and prayers. Is I appreciate that. Yeah, I, I know. Myself, that is a place I, where thoughts and prayers are meaningful and do something, <laughs> unlike yes. the fucking gun debate. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I myself, I, I, had, uh, I had a great week. I just got back literally just about 45 minutes ago. Uh, I got back from um, my trip to Las Vegas to go see the newly branded Seattle Kraken played their very first game against the Las Vegas Golden Knights. And I had a ton of fun. I, you know, the score didn't come out the way we wanted it. I thought it was a super exciting game. First, I just want to give a hats off to the Las Vegas Golden Knights. Uh, they put on an incredible show. It is uh, all of their pre-production stuff is, is extra in the way Las Vegas is extra. Um, uh, but I, you know, here's my thoughts on the game. I know you watched the game. Here's what I loved about the game. This game, the Seattle Kraken hit the Seattle sports hat trick. So like they fell into a deep hole early. They, they clawed and crawled their way out of it. And then they lost the game on a controversial <laughs> call. Like, like, welcome to Seattle Kraken. That is a Seattle sports team. You know, what do you think, Curtis? Oh, yeah. I mean, I thought it was like, you know, I mean, like first period, lethargic offense, uh, giving up quick points. Uh, second period, they uh, they get back into it. They start turning things around. Third period makes it very interesting. Uh, apparently, um, 
there are some things that are called a kick and there are some things that aren't called a kick and some of the things that aren't called a kick look very much look, like look, a kick look like a kick and i'm i'm, I'm learning <laughs> hockey so this is this is fun this is yeah. fun yeah it was uh it was it was it was enjoyable it was nice to see him rally and uh, you know i mean uh the uh the knigets are a uh, are a pretty good team down there aren't they i mean this is like this is they're they're yeah. they're, they're thought to be the 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 top they're, they're the favorite class. to win the pacific yeah. I, yeah. I, I thought i mean they got in a dog fight with one of the best teams in the league and, exactly. and really had a chance to uh to win it and i think um, they got under their skin a little bit too with that one guy who scored the goal and sort of uh, oh geeky when he scored gesture. the goal yeah it, what a perfect talking name by the way geeky yeah. uh, told, yeah especially for seattle oh yeah yeah i know yeah, I, I Morgan, actually Morgan like, Kiki. <laughs> yeah, I like him a lot. I think uh, I think he's going to develop into uh, a pretty great player for the Kraken. What do you think? What was your first impressions there, Alana? Oh, uh, I just think it's great to have a team in a sport uh, here that it's just so well suited for for Seattle. You know, we Seattle is the owner of the first ever Stanley Cup champion team. Um, the Seattle Metropolitans. Metropolitans. I thought we were going to call the team the Metropolitans because what a nice nod to history. But like, I'm fine with this absolute dork fest that is the Kraken. Yeah. Um, and like a mythical creature that's an octopus. Like, woo! Like, <laughs> how Seattle of us. Uh, but, uh, you know, what it comes down to really is just um, it's fun. It's fast. It's, it's, a ty- it's the type of sport like I can get my kid interested in. Yeah. Uh, it's the type of sport I can get Beth, my partner, interested in. Yeah. So I'm just I'm excited about you know building a fandom and and uh, seeing what that looks like and seeing what type of um, weird sort of uh, routines the team goes through. I mean, imagine the first time we play uh, Detroit and one of their traditions in Detroit is when somebody gets a hat trick. I think they throw a bunch of octopus on the ice, um, like. <laughs> Right. I, I mean, like, is that, are they just going to be threatening and just show up with a bunch of octopus? Like, <laughs> yeah. you know, I mean, what the, hockey fans are weird and like Seattle is weird. It's a match made in heaven. I, I agree. Uh, I, I, I love it. Uh, I, I think it's great. I thought it was, I think it's super exciting. The team has a ton of grit and a ton of heart. Um, uh, speaking of Metropolitan fans, there were a couple of guys at the game yesterday wearing Metropolitan jerseys. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. Which nice. I, uh, the other thing I want to say, this was the the other observation I had. Ton of Seattle Kraken fans there. Like I, you know, I don't, I don't, I. This is probably a wild exaggeration, but it felt like a good twenty five percent of the stadium was just full of Seattle Kraken fans. I, at least from where I was sitting, I was within like fist bump and uh, high five range from a dozen people. Uh, it, and so it kind of gave it a little hometown uh, flavor to it, um, which just kind of like made the whole thing electric. Anyway, that's neat. I, I would really love. I can't wait to see what the hometown crowd does in a few weeks. I can't I wait to find out what are our chants going to look like. Mm-hmm. I can't wait to see Climate Pledge Arena. I can't wait to see what our pre-show looks like. Yeah, I saw. Um, a video of that pre-show with the projection on the ice. Uh-huh. The, the, yeah. That was, that looked so cool. I'm very jealous of your experience. I can't wait 
to go to our first game. Um, we've got tickets um, on the 17th. And I just want to oh, nice. see what this city puts together is like, what are they going to do? It was a neat thing yeah. to watch when the Sounders got started. I remember, Yeah. you know, what are the chants going to be? What are we going to throw on the ice? If anything, like mm-hmm. I'm looking forward to that. I am too. Ah, it's fun. I like having a uh, uh, new sports in Seattle. Just bring the Sonics back. Yes. Okay, please. Yeah. All right, well, um, let's dive into the Seahawks. Uh, You know, it's almost a week now um, from that Rams game. Obviously, we lost. I think everybody knows that by now. Um, uh, But the big news coming out of that game, Russell Wilson went out with a middle finger injury. He hit uh, trying to go through his throwing motion, hit it on Aaron Donald's helmet. Um, It looked pretty brutal. He tried to come back in, but even, you know, the seven yard passes he was trying to throw were wobbly ducks uh, and Geno Smith had to take over next day. Come to find out Russell's got to have some surgery, put a pin in it, and he's going to be out for six to eight weeks. He says it's going to be four weeks. That's cute. Russell Wilson. He's uh, he's always uh, looking on the positive spin of things. Um, It's huge. This is the first time. Russell Wilson has ever been injured. He he is about to miss his first start since he came into this league in mm-hmm. 2012. I mean, and, and this is kind of a nightmare scenario for the Seattle Seahawks, especially with the defense, um, you know, not pulling their weight. Um, what are your thoughts, Curtis? What are the implications on this? Is it time to hit the panic button? Uh, where are we going? I mean, I kind of hit the panic button watching them play Minnesota a few weeks ago mm-hmm. uh, with that defense. It just uh, it was one of the worst defensive football games I think I can ever remember the Seahawks playing. Um, that said, uh, you and know, you watched games I, in the 90s. What's, oh, God. Yeah, there was some bad ones there. But still, <laughs> I mean, weirdly, that defense back in the 90s seemed to be sort of like better than yeah a barrage of different quarterbacks that uh would be playing for that team back then um i think you know i think there's 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 reason for people to push the panic button i'm pushing more of like the curiosity button. (laughs) (laughs) yeah what i'm doing because i'm curious to see how carol can um can fix a defense for like that's for like at least the third season in a row through the first five games is horrendous. Um, Just awful. So he's got a big chore on that again to try and fix. And uh, he's got to, he's, you know, he's got to depend on a guy who hasn't been a starter for five or six years and when he was a starter he wasn't a very good starter and maybe he's I mean you could saw when he came in uh Geno Smith looked sharp he looked focused he was on target he was showed poise um but he's got to carry it through and uh it'll just be really interesting to me um you know I I I'm not panicked so much as I'm just curious and fascinated to see if Carol can pull off a coaching miracle yeah um it would be cool if it happened and i'm really i i, I am i'm super super rooting for geno smith to do well and to show that he can be 
a, a starting quarterback in this league. I, know I am too. Uh, Geno Smith fascinates me. You know, he came into this league, he played a couple seasons on a horrible Jets team mm-hmm. and the Jets like every quarterback I think is going to look bad on the Jets. It's just like, that's where quarterback curses uh, uh, happen. Um, he kind of bounces around a little bit. Uh, you know, he's on the giants, another bad team. He he's, you know, um, a second string quarterback behind some pretty good players, um, before he finds his way to Seattle, um, has a chance to find opportunities elsewhere, but has a heart to heart with Carol last season. And they both come to the conclusion that like, this is the place he's meant to be. He likes the culture here. He likes the team. Um, the team likes him. And he, and he knew that Russell is the kind of quarterback, like he may never get his chance. Uh, but he likes the organization and the culture and the system and he's here and he looked good. Um, I thought he looked really sharp and I, I'm, you know, he was drafted in the second round. Was it the second Uh, round? Early second round. Yeah. Early second. Um, so he's got, just loads of potential uh mm-hmm. and i i think it would be one of the cool redemption stories if you know a 31 year old geno smith can um finally reach that what do you and think it means that? something it's clear that it means something to him yeah. when he threw that interception in that yeah. game a lot of backup he was pissed he was pissed a lot of backup quarterbacks would be like oh darn um and in this case it was it was obvious that he cared so i want to yeah. say and the team cared about him Totally, totally. You know, the shots on the sideline with all of the, everybody on the team coming up to him and, you know, giving him a pat on the back, uh, right. you know? Yeah. And that interception wasn't his fault. Uh, right. It was, it was a good pass uh, and the locket just tr- got tripped up. Yeah. Um, Millie, you are the voice of positivity and the voice of reason. Give me some reasons <laughs> why the Seahawks are going to be okay in the next uh, six weeks. You know what? I'm going to do just that. I'm going to tell you a little bit about a guy named Eugene Cyril, Gino Smith, mm. the third. Oh, I'm, I'm listening. <laughs> who, um, I just double checked a couple things who is six, three. So this alone gives me some hope about yeah. finding guys in the middle. <laughs> which he did there was a beautiful pass that i've never seen russell make and this is kind of a signature of this sort of mcbay waldron offense and he hit a pass i think it went for like 29 or 30 yards to will disley the tight end doing a crossing route that kind of that kind of route is a signature rams play and it it's devastating. And he hit it perfectly. And then Disley, because he's a stud, uh, you know, took it for a few more yards. Um, that made me really excited. And I was like, ah, ah, that's what a tall quarterback can do. So yes, I agree with you, Mo. And I even uh I remember Gino on the Jets, and I really wanted to believe in Geno Smith, but he wasn't ready. <laughs> he just wasn't ready for that level of horribleness that is being the quarterback for the jets um and he didn't have the maturity for it which the majority of their quarterbacks don't have when they take them on um so i am excited to see what geno smith can do and um i think we saw it that thing when everybody has to suddenly get laser focus 
because mm-hmm. you have to know exactly what's happening because suddenly your quarterback's not in. Mm-hmm. And it's the same thing that happens in theater when something mm-hmm. crazy goes down and mm-hmm. someone can't go on yes. and you throw somebody up on the stage half the time with a book in their hand and they're reading the lines and you're trying to guide them through their blocking with it seeming somewhat seamless to an audience that all knows that this is an understudy who's just come in. Yeah. And there's this electricity that happens, whether it's in theater or whether it's on a football field where everyone is tuned in and the audience or the crowd is tuned in. And we did not win that game, but we got to have those warm, fuzzy fan moments of excitement when it was working. Yeah. Yeah. Now we're going to see him and this team likes him, but he will have had rehearsals. So I'm really excited. <laughs> He's actually getting first game reps now. He's getting uh, in those meetings with Waldron to kind of like talk about what he can do and the strategy and everything. Um, he took us 98 yards for a touchdown. And then the very next time he got the ball, he drove us down for some more points. I mean, he had a real chance to win that game. And, <laughs> you know, if Tyler hadn't tripped up, who knows what would have happened? Um, I... I, I have faith in Geno Smith. Um, I I have to say, you know, I was watching the Rams game and the defense is just giving everything up again. And I was sick to my stomach and I wasn't having any fun. And all I want to do is just like turn the game off. And now I don't have any expectations. Like it's at a point now where it's like, yeah, the Cardinals... <laughs> look good and uh they are absolutely a favorite to win this division and uh the rams are going to be up there battling with them too um but i i don't i don't know the it's a lot of things are going to have to go right for seattle to be competitive but what i like now is that we are in a position where uh we have to dig in and Everything has to go right. Everybody has to play perfectly. And I want to see that. Like, I'm, I want to see that happen. Uh, and that's kind of what I'm rooting for now rather than the record. Um, and, and I think that's a fun place to be in. Uh, this also, is- I just want to add, sorry to, to no, interrupt please. Daniel. Um, the most, the, the player that I am most excited about on the entire team is Michael Dixon. Big Dick. Oh, we, we, we like, have to talk about Michael Dixon. A d- double punt. A double punt. I, I, he's unbelievable. He's, he is unparalleled. There has never been a better punter in a league, yeah. both from a like tactical standpoint and from an entertainment value to standpoint. I never know if he's going to take the ball and like, <laughs> right. oh, I'm going to run for this first down and actually run for the first down because he's athletic. He's not yeah. just a stupid punter out there. Or if he's going to get the ball plot, uh, sorry, punt blocked and then somehow finagle his way into still punting at 63 yards like insane unbelievable like i will watch every game that he is involved in <laughs> yeah. for the seahawks because he's the best i might have to get a dick dixon jersey you know in any other game where if mm-hmm. you were to say the the punter was like had the most exciting player was the most exciting part of that game that's a bad sign but right. this is this is good i i mean yes. i you know there are people um who know you know all the 100 year history of the nfl a double punt has never happened 
Right. Like, so it didn't happen. It's never happened that the refs didn't even know the, like they had to consult about the rule. The, right. the, the you know, Mike Piera got the call wrong. Uh, I thought it was really terrific. And then to boot it, like, you know, over 60 yards. Oh, yeah. Absolutely incredible. It was great. Um, well, we're going into Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh, th- their defense is good, but uh, you've got the undead zombie corpse of Ben Roethlisberger uh, behind center. Um, so <laughs> this could be a, a good game for the defense to kind of like maybe start figuring some things out. Um Curtis is shaking his head. No. <laughs> if Ben Roethlisberger, if we make Ben Ro- the the zombie cars of Ben Roethlisberger look good, uh, it's 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 dire straits in in Seattle. But uh, <laughs> maybe this is time to jump into our predictions. Curtis, I'm dying to know. Your- I just yeah, I'm sorry, folks. I, <laughs> uh, you know. <laughs> They can't. They're not. They can't figure out how to use Jamal Adams, and they traded two oh, first-round picks for him. I know. I know. I, you know, they had him blitzing last year. They don't have him blitzing this year. They just. I just. I. I. I've, my faith is gone. It's just lost. They carry in three <laughs> defensive tackles. They can't stop the run. Why don't you add another defensive tackle? You have Geno Atkins out there. Go sign him. I mean. Pittsburgh, no, they're not going to stop that offense. They've got Pittsburgh has this Raji Harris guy from Alabama who's like the dude who's from Tennessee who played in Alabama. I mean, he's big, he's physical, he's fast. Pittsburgh figured it out last year. Roethlisberger doesn't have an arm left. Let's just keep feeding him the ball. Well, and it's going to work because the Seattle defense uh, can't stop the run. Yeah, well, as the games wear on, I mean, they couldn't stop the run enough last week. They couldn't. I mean, I really feel like they probably could have easily lost the game in San Francisco if San Francisco would have just ran the ball a bit more. Um, yeah, and stop putting know, their faith into Trey Lance, who just yeah. after another game is just absolutely not NFL. But in the other two games that they lost, when they, I'm thinking about this out loud here a little bit, but when they, when they, when they lost. To Tennessee, what did Tennessee have? I mean, they had the best running yeah. back in the league. When they yeah. lost to Minnesota, what did Minnesota have? Oh, maybe like the second best running back in the right. league, you know. And so I just, I'm, I'm not, I'm not sold that that defense is going to do enough. And you know, so I'm just looking for, you know, I'm looking for Geno Smith to play well and efficiently. Um, I'm hoping that you know that they can somehow pull off a miracle sort of shootout thing, but I just sort of see Pittsburgh probably winning this one with a a score like maybe like 24-17 or something like that. Like, I just feel like they'll keep running the ball. Seattle can't do anything to stop it. Once they try starting to stop it, then, you know, that coverage over the middle is going to get exposed, you know. It's yeah, just, yeah. It's, it feels like it's that type of thing where just yeah. – I could see the Steelers grinding a lot of clock and just like, just kind of like slowly squeezing the life out of the opportunities for Geno Smith to get the offense going for Seattle. That's what I kind of sort of So 24-17. 24-17. Alana. 
Uh, so I will never pick the Pitt Steelers to win anything as long as Ben Roethlisberger is alive because that guy's a piece of shit who deserves to be in jail uh, and should never see the light of day because he's a fucking rapist uh, who utilized his offensive lineman to guard the door while he did the raping. So yeah, like, and I, I think uh, just to uh, piggyback on that, uh, if that news had come out in uh, today, um, he would be having the Watson treatment. Absolutely. Yeah. And he deserves it. He deserves it. He's a, yeah. and he's, he comes out and is like all evangelical about his religious beliefs now and has got this weird, creepy death stare. So like, I can't, I can't with that team ever. So I will never pick them, even if it's clear that they're going to win. So take that with the context of this pick it's 28, 24 Seattle. Uh, and I think that, um, the only re- reason the Steelers score 24 is because of the running game and uh, DK and Disley light it up uh, and a lot of yards after, after catch. I like it. Millie, give me, give me your predictions. Uh, I'm pretty much with Alana on this. It's difficult for me to pick the Steelers normally, and it's easy for me to not pick them at all this season um, because I think they put up points They've got some players, but I think uh, Big Ben is done, and I don't know why he hasn't been taken out sooner. Um, I won't miss him when he's gone. And with that, I am going to take that Geno love in my heart, and I am also going to pick the Seahawks to win in an upset. Um, Gosh, it's hard for me to to get a good score in my head, but I'm going to go 21-17. Uh, 2117 is also my prediction. Um, uh, you know, there's one glimmer of hope that Pete Carroll understands the gravity of this defensive situation because <laughs> Trey Flowers is now gone. Five years yeah. too late, but Trey Flowers is out of here. I think this is the spark the Seahawks need. <laughs> Um, Ken Norton Jr. is still here. <laughs> yeah, but Ken Norton Jr. is still like, coaching. It's just, so that's like a, you can. That's a fair I can point. only I can I can only lay blame on the players so much. I'm sorry. <laughs> I no, it, it is 100% Ken Norton Jr. Um, we have blue chippers on that defense. The personnel is not the issue. Um, it is definitely on Ken Norton Jr. And it's either his scheme or the way he's not getting these players ready uh, for these games, but it's a hundred percent on the coaching. Um, I think Pete Carroll is going to go back to the sort of offense that he likes. It's still going to be Walter and it's still going to be Ram style, but he's going to want to like chew that clock. He's going to want to run it down their throats. Sounds like Carson might be coming back, but Alex Collins is a bowling ball out there. And I almost want to see him get more of the touches uh, going into Pittsburgh. Um, I, uh, I too, I'm predicting, uh, I'm predicting 2117 um, game. So how did we do last week, Millie? Well, um, Alana and I uh, chose the Seahawks to lose. So um good for us uh yeah yeah um and i will say that um let me get my little cheat sheet here alana had the seahawks losing um 27 to a rams score of 35 oh i was way off (laughs) uh (laughs) 
Um, not not too far off though, really. I mean, you had it as a what an eight point game. I had them getting thoroughly beaten, uh, thirty three to twenty one. So I would like to credit uh, Geno Smith for not allowing that to happen. Yeah, and bad Matt St- Matt Stafford. That's right. Yeah, we got bad Matt Stafford in that game, and we still couldn't pull it out. Yeah, and I mean. Deanna Curtis, you you had a lot of points on the board for that game. Uh, you had a uh, thirty five and thirty three and thirty eight and thirty four. So you did not get the shootout that you were so lovingly no. projecting, predicting. Well, Russ went out and we got bad Stafford. I know. Yep, yep. I was actually looking back at some of our uh, dork board projections from our first episode, and uh, we had come up with a lot of uh, records that we thought the team was going to achieve and that Russell yeah. was going to achieve. Mm. And uh, I'm not going to go over those right now, but I look forward to looking at them at the end of the oh, season. <laughs> Me too. I am looking oh, forward God. to seeing them at the end of the season. There's a, it's, there's still a lot of season left. Uh, there's a, there's a lot of games yet to be played. And um, uh, you know, last year they inexplicably turned it around. Um, so, but you know, we also were winning all our games. And I look um, forward to seeing Russell come back. I think he will. I think he'll be strong. And yeah. I think there, you know, anytime you come back from an injury, um, there is a real drive and desire. And we all know that he wants to prove himself in a way that might be detrimental to his psyche. So. <laughs> Uh, I look forward to seeing that Russell Wilson. Apparently, he was at practice today doing warm-ups with everybody. He, he was, was leading the he was leading the jogs back and yeah. forth with one yeah, hand with his hand in his little like warmer. Saw, but God bless him for doing it. <laughs> Classic Russell, uh, fearless captain. Yep. All right. Um, you know, before we jump into our uh, our non-sports dorks um, section, I, I want to touch on the the Gruden madness because I feel it's important to. Um, you know, if you're listening to the podcast and you're not aware, um, an email, a a racist email came out that Gruden wrote in 2011. And then, uh, it was the New York times exposed a million more. And it wasn't just racist. It was homophobic. He was sharing lewd pictures of, uh, NFL cheerleaders with, uh, other people in the organization, um, and it was all really, he was, uh, uh, against concussion protocols and he was calling, I, I he, he was calling people in the business names that, um, I will not, um, repeat here, uh, because they're gross. Um, Gruden is a piece of shit. Uh, he proved he's a piece of shit. He's racist. He's homophobic. He's sexist. He's, he's, he's a piece of shit. And, um, the Raiders rightly got rid of him and the Bucks took him off their ring of honor. That's the bare minimum of what should be done with this racist piece of shit. Um, the NFL, and, and he came out and said he's not racist, but it's like, dude, you are. Right. Like, you can't say you're not racist. And if you actually believe that, uh, you're mental. Like, go to therapy. Um, Roger Goodell and the NFL came out with a statement that said, you know, Gruden's views do not represent the NFL and blah, 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 blah. Um, but that's not true. Mm-hmm. It, it's not true. 
because the fact of the matter is they do because Gruden was employed and he was sharing the this correspondence with people who are also employed in the NFL. And we well, know he was, this. We, he was we sharing know. it with the club president of the Washington football team and which is a, Bruce a blatantly racist organization. Mm-hmm. Um, the NFL can't claim that they're not a racist organization until they purge every racist out of the organization. And I think that's exactly what needs to be done. I think the NFL needs to start a widespread investigation and audit and dig up every email and every text message from every coach and owner and executive in this league and ship everybody out um, who has anything to say about any of that. Um, And if the fact that they don't uh, is the reason why (laughs) America is the racist country that they are. He was a coach in this league for 17 years. And for the 10 years that he wasn't, he was a commentator on Monday night football. He is widely considered to be one of the best coaches and commentators by everyone involved in the league. He is and came from a long pedigree of other coaches. Like this is widespread. Right. And this and is generation owners down. General owners yeah. down. Uh that I mean, there are a lot of people I know who don't watch football because of assholes like this. Uh yeah. and there is a the whole league needs an anima um in order Agreed. to deal with this. Agreed. Yeah. You Anybody know, when the news <laughs> broke the other day. I uh, had a very visceral reaction because it took me back to a place where I was, uh, you know, as a teenager uh, who wanted to play football and did football for a few years and all that sort of stuff. And, you know, I mean, the stuff, you know, in the hometown that I grew up in, very blue collar, uh, you know, predominantly white, uh, you know, dads worked in refineries or fisheries or farms and stuff. And I think they wanted to raise their kids in a certain way that would exude toughness, you know? And so for whatever stupidity back then in the eighties in which I was growing up, you know, toughness meant um, being derogatory about people on the margins. Mm -hmm. And I can remember, you know, uh, uh, a lot of friends, uh, a lot of people that I didn't like, you know, that's, that would say, you know, a lot of this derogatory crap. And, you know, it was like, I wanted to, I kind of wanted to like quit the whole scene and just get out of Dodge and come down here to Seattle and, uh, and discover myself. And I did, but when I discovered when I got to Seattle and started taking classes at the university of Washington and stuff is I had to deprogram off of a lot of this stuff. Mm-hmm. Like it was, I was, it was so much the culture in which yeah. I was brought up in. I was at least going to school with my, I'd never hear this stuff out of my dad. You know, my mom certainly wouldn't condone any of this type of bullshit, but it was around me just constantly. And, um, you know, stuff would come out of my mouth that I wouldn't even know was like offensive. Yeah. But, you know, to the people 
that are more on the mar- margins, you know, they just go like, dude, what the fuck? Yeah. <laughs> you know, and so it was a slow process. It was a slow process of me sort of discovering that, like, you know, um, words matter, feelings matter, people matter. And there's a lot of stuff that we can say about Gruden. I do think he's a piece of shit. More importantly, I think he's a terrible leader. And um, he's been fired from his jobs before, um, you know, and, you know, the Raiders have been a dumpster fire mess and they hired a horrible leader and of these young men who uh, I was listening to. God, what was his name? Uh, the the. Uh, Keyshawn Johnson, the old Tampa Bay. Keyshawn Johnson, I, yeah. I listened to that same. Interview. And he yeah. he was on he was on the early morning show on ESPN, I think on like Monday and stuff when all this news was breaking. And he was basically like, "Yeah, you know, when this guy came to Tampa, he inherited a super talented team that Tony Dungy built, and he came in with this moxie, which is no day. secret, yeah. And 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 we, you know, we we thought it was the secret sauce, and he got us to the championship, but shortly over a period of time of a couple seasons, you know, I started to see this used car salesman mm-hmm. out of him. Like he was just fucking fake, you know? And he, I, I think he's a fake tough guy. And oh, I'm totally. glad that this stuff came out. And I think that like, you know, the league needs to dispel with these people that are just terrible, terrible leaders because they're terrible human beings. Yeah. And if, if, if anybody, if the listeners want to take some time and just stream uh, Coach Staley of the, uh, of, of the L.A. Chargers press conference today when he was asked about his thoughts on Gruden, he said a lot of really cool things. Yeah. And he, he, said, he said about, and he, and, he, and he spoke a lot about trust and having to earn trust and how difficult it is to earn trust and how when this stuff that has come out about Gruden is just made a lot of people on the margins just kind of going like, yeah, see, told you so. You know, like all those f- friends that we have that don't watch this game because yeah. of this kind of bullshit, yeah. you know, their trusts are broken. Yeah. And so I think you know i think that like good for staley for bringing this stuff up and talking in this way and maybe that this can be you know just the first step and an agent of change to where you know nfl owners need to realize that this is not just an old boy's school anymore and they will seek out you know young minds um that haven't been raised by dads like that yeah you know and guys like Staley that, you know, that, you know, they don't care if, you know, if their defensive end is gay, you know, right. <laughs> can he play? <laughs> can he get to the quarterback? And if he can, and they, and- you know, yeah. So I yeah. just, I, I just, you know, I just, I just, the, I, I'm just hoping that this is, this is just an agent of change, that this is just something. I, that, I, I hope like, so too. Yeah, yeah. The NFL has been paying lip service to, um, you know, their problem of hiring leaders who are not white mm-hmm. um, and they've been horrible about it. Um, and they, they need to do better. Um, you know, it, the culture needs to change. We need to give more opportunities to, um, 
people who are not white coaches and leaders who are not white um and not necessarily men maybe and maybe not even necessarily men. totally um yeah and it, it, it needs to happen now and they can't just like hope that it will fix itself um the nfl as an organization needs to be proactive about it yeah uh millie do you have anything to add um I think that there have been a lot of moves in the right direction. And I think that um, the, the response to Gruden has been swift yeah. and mm-hmm. correct. Yeah. And as someone who actually really liked John Gruden, um, I liked him in Tampa. I liked him as a commentator. I was excited he was coming back. Because, you know, I live my life as a ray of fucking sunshine and I don't like to look at the dirty underbelly unless I have to. And I had to. And it was so disappointing because to me, at you know, the early reports were, you know, like as if this was one email 10 years ago. Right. And there is this knee jerk reaction to be like, hey, we've all done a lot of growth in this last decade. And, and you know, uh, Curtis, to your story, like, you know, there's an environmental factor here. And, and I like to think that there's been a lot of change in the last decade. But then you hear, oh, no, here's an email from 2017, 2018. Yeah. And it's not, and it's just so broad that it is the true definition of a bigot. Yes. I mean, there was no, there was no holding back on anything that wasn't his exact identity. You know, it, it stretched to every corner of the people who work for these organizations, uh, you know, and to your point, yeah, I don't, I don't care about someone's sexuality if they can play the position. And I don't care if a referee is a woman, as long as she's refereeing correctly. I mean, these ideas that NFL has been giving lip service to for years. And as you all said, I don't need to repeat it's just so disappointing uh, as we try to convince people to come watch football. Yeah. Right. <laughs> it's yeah. And, um, and just, I agree with you that I don't want to, you know, you don't need a witch hunt, but you sure as hell need to look at who was on the ends of these emails and how they reacted and what they did with this. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Well, uh, it couldn't have happened to a worse person and I'm glad he's gone. And I hope we never have to hear his name again. Um, because he can go fuck off to the nether regions, which is where Ben Roethlisberger uh, should be as well. Um, that aside, let's move on to um, the ideal coach, because we promised that we would uh, talk about the season finale of season two of Ted Lasso, uh, which uh, I, for me lived up to the expectation. Uh, but Curtis, I-, I know you're brimming with thoughts, and I'm curious to hear them. Ted Lasso? Ted Lasso. Oh my God. Well, the last, you know, the last three episodes of the season uh, were just, uh, it was, it was, it was, it was television at its finest for me. It was just, it was, it was, it was television Xanadu for me. (laughs) It was television Nirvana for me. I mean, it was just television heaven for me. I just, you know, the coach. Which one was it? (laughs) 
What's, I, I <laughs> Which just, of those things was it? It's like, oh my god, it was. Is just, it manna? It was, it was, is it like gold-plated chocolate? Like, it was just. It was. It was. It was the television golden fleece for me. It was just. It was so. It was so heavenly and delightful. And I just, you know, the 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 Coach Beard episode. I just. It took me back to where I was when I was in my you know early mid thirties and doing crazy shit in the odd hours on capitol hill and seattle and stuff in that that the second to the last episode um you know that scene just haunts me between when ted is revealing you know the the heartbreak that he experienced as a teen and it juxtaposed when Rebecca was experiencing hers and they're just like they're just they're just pouring out on all this I was just thought it was just like television at the finest and and I and I really that finale for me just you know the whole reveal with Nate and I thought it really set up this fascinating um duality between Ted and Nate how one coach is a clear players coach um, and that's his strength. And the other one is a clear um, tactical coach mm -hmm. uh, who can't relate to players and mm -hmm. isn't personable. And I think, I think you see that play out in sports. I mean, if we say that, that Ted Lasso is kind of like a young Pete Carroll type, you know, uh, Nate is kind of a Belichick you know <laughs> he's kind of this little evil dude i mean there was something that was very very i thought it was going to go in a much darker place i did too made at the end and so i was sort of relieved that that didn't happen i mean i think we kind of shared convos about that but you know there was just something very shakespearean about his slide into that darkness i thought it was set up masterfully and mm -hmm. the more i thought about it the more i saw sort of the crumbs of that of nate's turn being mm -hmm. set up in season one um i thought nate's i kind of want to go back and watch the whole thing yes yeah. so yeah. you know nate throughout the entire second season um you see him turn to the dark side mm -hmm. um he feels neglected uh not only from um uh, the the team that he's on but his family as well and we kind of get to see the abuse mm -hmm. um uh that his father has fostered on him um he feels neglected by ted um which i actually I actually think he had a little bit of a point there. Oh, I think he did. I thought I thought, um, I thought the writing was spectacular. I thought scene. it was spectacular. I thought that Ted actually uh, did kind of um, let his team down a little bit in this um, in his second season with the club. Um, and, and not entirely his fault. He's going through his own mental health stuff, but um, he did. He ignored his team a little bit, and he and he especially ignored Nate. Um, I thought Nate had a great point, actually, when he uh, told Ted that you shouldn't be here. You should be at home with your son. Like, that's a shitty thing to say to somebody like, you know, that he said it to be hurtful. But he was also kind of right. And um, and I thought that that set up Ted's uh, trajectory well as well. Uh, because Ted is working through his own trauma um, uh, from his own father, from his own daddy issues, right? His own father 
leaving him, um, as we find out due to the um, suicide. Uh, uh, and I think Ted's playing that out a little bit in his own way by like escaping to England and just kind of like FaceTiming with his son. He's trying to run away from this um, past that uh, he's grieving from. Um, another thing that I kind of wanted to talk about Nate is that I see him less as a foil to Ted Lasso and more a foil of Jamie Tart. And hear me out on this mm. because Jamie Tart is also uh, dealing with his own trauma um, from his own daddy issues. Uh, and, but, and Jamie Tart coming into the league, he's handsome and he's strong and he's athletic and he he kind of like he was able to go through life getting everything that he wanted everything was kind of given to jamie tart um and now jamie tart is kind of turning the corner right ted lasso was kind of able to get to him the team was kind of able to get to him uh nate i feel is jamie tart he's a bully uh he hates himself he kind of hates the people around him he wants to bring people down except He's not good looking and he's not athletic and things aren't given to him. Instead, he's just kind of ignored um, or he's bullied. And this is kind of like fostered a, um, a, a darkness inside of him. And now that he is getting somewhere, you know, Ted has given him an opportunity and he's taken it. Um, he feels that if he's going upward, that means somebody has to go down. Uh, and I find that fascinating um and i'm really kind of excited to see how that plays out uh in the third season uh if we're going well, to have think, a redemption story with nate i yeah. think exactly what you just said it all comes down to that moment where you know jamie tart said i still love you yeah and yeah. it has to be forgiven and i almost killed the guy and all these things and then it's well i i kissed keely and oh yeah, she told me about that. Mm -hmm. Don't worry about it. Yeah. It is in, in that moment that just... it's so discounted. Oh, totally. That oh man. It's so you know, emasculating. I, I, I feel was, like it was, I felt it was it easy too. to understand sort of this seething constant anger of being of feeling like no one appreciates you or thinks yeah. of you in a way that is important, which of course is not yeah. true. But these people around him have not felt the need. Somehow they all kept missing how much yes. he needed more of that reinforcement and nurturing and care because he was given this opportunity and he was proving himself and he was part of the team. And it wasn't just Lasso, it was everyone around him. Yeah. And suddenly, you know, there's there's another assistant coach on the team. Oh, okay. I, I guess. Yeah, and on the one hand, you're like, dude, you, you just got promoted. Like, you need to, right. to be okay with this. But nobody's talking to him. Nobody yeah. is checking in with him along the way. And when no one's doing that, it's really easy to follow your dark thoughts. And, and I do want to say that when it comes to the mental health piece for Ted Lasso, I, I thought it was a really beautiful ode to the reality of what that is. You can't see that mm -hmm. when you are trying to deal with your own issues and trauma you think that 
you have given someone what they need and that you're, you're trying to give everybody what they need when you're the kind of person that Lasso is and he can't, he's incapable of it. And so while that is a failing, um, it's in those moments that you really need the people around you to step up. And he, when he finally admitted to everyone what's going on with him, that's the moment for everyone to step up and step in. But folks who don't understand that need or can't, get behind that for whatever their reasons, which makes total sense for me with Nate and his upbringing. Like you don't, you, we saw how Nate's father was like, you, there's, there's no way in his nature is that something that you help instead. It's a place right. to take advantage. Right. And that's exactly what he did because he turned it all around and ugly and decided to go out for himself and himself alone. And it, yeah. it does all make a progressive sense. It hurts your heart because you loved him so much in the first season. But when we got to yeah. the second season, I mean, the first thing he did was he was mean to the new equipment kid. He had right. no empathy. And right. And, and that, know, like the, the, the world that like where we he see was, what happens when you don't have empathy. Yeah. And that was his job last season. Like of all the people uh, in that locker room who should have empathy for uh, that person, it would be him. But um, but he decided to go in another direction. Um, yeah, I uh, I loved I loved the whole mental health angle in the second season overall, and I and I think it it was it it hit every single storyline going through i think everybody in that season was dealing with their own stuff um uh uh, ted especially i thought that storyline was told so honestly especially a man who is trying to cover it up just like push it deep down inside of him because i can relate to that where it's just like a storm inside of your chest and uh, you don't want to let it take over. And, and sometimes it does. And it's really scary when that happens. Um, and you just try to like push it down. Um, but, you know, like, uh, like his therapist said, the truth will set you free. Uh, and I thought like I got choked up when I, uh, when, when I heard that on the TV um, because, uh, because it's true, um, because by owning it and then, um, you know, the public doesn't need to know it, but Nate forced that hand. But the people in that locker room that he's leading uh, do need to know it. Um, and, and, and Ted, like he built a culture in there. He, he didn't have to be scared of it. I, I understand why he was, but he doesn't have to be because those people love him. Um, and, you know, they'll be understanding of all of that. Um, I thought it was brilliant. I, I thought it was every bit as good as the first season. It was different. It was totally different. Um, and I know it had uh, its detractors and its um, critics. Um, but uh, I thought it was- well, can, um, can we like, like don't vomit on critics. Like I have some points that I think are really- No, well, well I would failed. love to hear them. Yeah. Like the, the lesbian dog owner scene in that last episode, like why? Why waste a minute of screen time on this little joke that just turns this character into this weird, like, sex 
person. Like, I, it just, it didn't make any sense. There was no reason for that. It, yeah. it wasn't funny. It stuck out like a sore thumb. And the same is true for the the title cards. When we go five days later, 10 days, yeah, three the months weird later, choppy time we, don't, we don't, need, we don't that. need that. We don't need that. And then there was one other piece that was like, oh, Trent Grimm and his keys. Like, Trent Krim and his keys. Who gives a shit? I don't care that he locked his keys I don't even remember what that car. was. When Ted and yeah, Trent have that little, little dialogue, and he's like, do you want to ride? And Ted's like, no, I'm good walking. And then it cuts back uh, to yeah, Trent, and he's stuff. like, he can't get into, into his car. Why? It's just Why? like a weird gag. It's, just a, yeah. it's a weird gag, but it's not funny, and it doesn't fit with an understanding that we have of who Trent Krim is. It's just thrown in there for a gag for absolutely no reason and i felt like yeah. this and that season, was actually a really poignant uh um absolutely uh, and scene it completely with, with ted and trent yeah it completely yeah. undercut the tone of that and so when you have these little micro issues that are happening episode after episode after episode and they were there all throughout the season whilst being balanced against this brilliant macro storytelling of Nate's story, of Rebecca's story, of Ted's story, of all the character, of Beard's story, of Roy and Keeley's stories. Like all of those stories are being touched on and handled with such care throughout each episode. But then you have these random, it was, it was almost like they had to force themselves to be funny. And by right. doing that, they eliminated what was good about the storytelling in certain moments. And I, so like, when people are critical, what I'm critical about this in this season is the pacing and the sequencing of the storylines. Like I loved both of the added episodes, which are the Christmas episode and the beard episode, but narratively they completely set the whole show on fire so that you didn't know where you were at. The Christmas episode came right after uh, Sam of Asanya's uh, um, protest of having uh Dubai or, Air. Yes. Yeah, or whatever it was. And then yeah, I thought that, that was sort story of an line, Yeah, that storyline just evaporated. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden this startup uh uh Tinder, Tinder called Banter, yeah. has enough money to sponsor a team. Like weird. Like to be the primary sponsor. That didn't make a lot of sense. And then when you had um beard storyline, it was the whole narrative. I mean like all of the narratives came to just such a screeching halt so that we could see beard and then when they picked up it was like we jumped forward a little bit in some but were held firm in others like the, the individual unique episodes worked but by their nature they threw off the pacing and so i think when people are being critical curtis that's how they're being critical they're not just saying i don't like it because there's not as much picky ball they're saying <laughs> the structure of this isn't holding up as well as it did in the first season and yeah. and i'm also and while i'm hearing i don't like the fact that nate turned into a villain um i think that that's a legitimate critique like if for some people that could come out of nowhere i loved it i thought it was great mm -hmm. um but i i think that to to poo poo people who have negative reaction to parts of this to me it's like just listen to what they're saying and how they're saying it yeah like, but like, the only criticisms that i was basically hearing and seeing was that uh that 
Ted Lasso is not an edgy enough show that it's too, it's too, there's too much saccharine involved with this that, you know, um, and I was just kind of like, well, then watch something else. If that's, <laughs> sure. if that's what you want. I mean, if that's, if, if, if that's what you're, if, if this is what you're criticizing Ted Lasso on, it's because it's not, you know, my it's, biggest, it's not your flavor. Problem. Go watch something that's your right. flavor. You know my I mean? biggest narrative problem with this mm. is the fact that they introduced uh, Jamie Tart as a genuine threat to Roy and Keeley's relationship mm. and then dropped it I mean, kind of in, in terms of yeah. how those two characters were interacting. Yeah. Uh, and then it became like, who, like, why do that? Like, that didn't yeah. make any sense. I, and then, and what I liked though, is that it became about um, Keeley's and what it should have been all along is it became about Keeley's identity as a professional woman being uh-huh. the conflict between her and Roy. Like if that's the that if that has if they have to break up, that's the only thing that can break them up. Otherwise, it is completely underselling Keeley's existence as a woman on the show as one of two women on this show. <laughs> and without yeah. like her being like a person who can get her shit together and just kick the world's ass. I, I don't believe that those two characters would break up. And I still don't want them to break up because they're the coach and Mrs. Coach of from Friday Night Lights mm-hmm. of Ted Lasso. Because Roy Kent yeah. is the best character on the show and Keely is the other best character on the show. Coach Beard's the I best one. I thought like the, the, the Jamie Tart kiss, it, I, I was also a little confused as to where they were going with that. And ultimately, I think what they were trying to do is... Um, it was in service of Roy's story a little bit. You're totally which, right. Which, which is fine. Um, and that was a poignant moment when Roy um, forgave Jamie Tart in the only way Roy Kent can. But um, I don't. I also don't think we needed it because we had had that hug. Uh, the, yeah, I with, completely agree dad. with that. Like that's. I felt like that was enough for their that, story. Uh, I, and I, it was, I had forgotten about that, but yeah, that's true. Yeah, and then this absolutely. became redux, uh, redux of that. And, right. uh, and and it therefore lost, it made both of the moments suffer. Right. Well, one of yeah. the things that I've said before I really love about the show is the fact that people can be honest and have conversations um, that are healthy, even though they're hard. Right. And yes. I think it the uh, that happened throughout the season for Roy and Keeley and then had to happen a lot in those final episodes. And what we continue to see is we're going to have hard moments where we're honest, but we're going to tell each other about these little awkward things that might make the other person a little upset, but I'd rather tell you about it and not hold on to something that might be a secret or might be no big deal, but I'm going to let you tell me how you feel about it. And then we're going to work through it. This very healthy relationship that I'm absolutely in love with. And I didn't need any of the um, post scenes personally. I mean, the reveal of Nate was cool. I kind of saw that coming actually, but um, I didn't need any of them. That would probably be my only criticism. And I will tell you all that I had to watch the last four episodes in two days. So (laughs) in order to meet your deadline and uh, the hubs and I just finished it at 730 this evening. So congratulations! it is super fresh in my mind right now. And I, I didn't need it. Um, and the thing he noticed that if you all didn't, I think you had to by the end, but if you didn't see Nate's turn coming, you just had to watch his hair. Right. 
right i mean that thing of you know in in these stories where someone's hair they get the white streak or they get the black streak Mm -hmm. nate's hair in the final two episodes is a thing of of mastery as far as whomever was handling the uh hair and makeup for the show yeah Um, and i also just wanted to touch on because curtis you love that episode so much i may have had too high of expectations for the coach beard episode which did as someone who was trying to rush to the end i was like oh this is so good but i don't need it um but i turned out i did i I was suffering through it a little bit because i wanted to know why everybody liked it so much and then as i got to the end of that episode i think i wept the entire last five minutes Mm -hmm. it was transcended in the end and i was so glad i went off was big I love the I love the Coach Beard episode. It's becoming well, it was a, a very hero's journey for me too. Like it was just uh, there was just there was there was just there was this weird odyssey sort of thing yeah. that he went through. Yeah. It Go was ahead. and it was very Coach Beard. Um, I there's a trend in TV shows right now of tossing in um, a, a, an episode kind of like halfway through the season that feels like a one shot or it's got a different. Um, structure maybe than the other episodes in the season and I kind of dig it I and I it's one thing I, I I wonder if that coach beard episode to your point Alana would feel less like less jarring narratively if we were able to binge it um, I, rather than I getting... think I mean I think that I think the reason it feels jarring narratively is because it was originally 10 episodes, a 10 episode season. And then Apple said, hey, can you do two more? And they were like, no, we've already broke everything, but sure, why not? And so they created right. these two standalone episodes around that the were structure never of the story. To be in right. right. And so in season three, they've got a 12 episode season that they know starting off. Um, yeah. uh, and so like, I think that that is, um, there's value to that. Um, and I wanted to call attention to another episode that had a structure change, uh, or another series that had a structure change in the middle of the season, and that's Only Murders in the Building. And if, you've, if you're if you caught up on that, the episode that is different than all the others is the best episode, and it narratively fits with everything else that's been happening. Yeah, I absolutely I, I agree. want to I out about loved that, that episode. Yeah. What was that, yeah. Millie? I absolutely want to dork out about that show next time because uh, the finale is on Monday. Let's do uh let's do it next next podcast. Are we dorking out about uh only murders in the building? I have not watched a single episode of this thing yet. What is it? That's okay. Then you have to. It's a it's a murder mystery um, podcast comedy starring Steve Martin, Martin Short, uh, and Selena Gomez. Gomez. It's on Hulu. Hula. It's great. Okay, I got to sign it's up great. for the Hulu thing. Well, I need to watch Reservation Dogs too. too. Yeah. Oh, you do need to watch Reservation. You do. Dogs. So uh, much good TV out right now. Anyway, uh, we've talked long enough. Uh, Ted Lasso was great. Uh, I'm I'm really looking forward to season three, which is going to be um, their last. It's going to be Television right. Utopia. It will be the it will be Television Nirvana. It's, uh... Nirvana. <laughs> it's Television Apple Pie. That's right. All right. Television prime rib. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, We're dorks on sports. Curtis has his blog, 12th Life. Go check it out. 
We also have YouTube channel. If you want to see the video podcast, we put it up there as well. Once again, my name is Daniel for Alana, Curtis, Millie, and the rest of the 12s saying goodbye and go Hawks. Go Hawks. Go Hawks. Go Hawks.